Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Nice to have you along. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Tim Sackett. Tim is a crazy, busy, amazing guy in the world of HR. Let me just run through a few things that he's involved with. So Tim is the president of HRU Technical Resources, which is a $40 million IT and engineering contract staffing firm and RPO. He's a member of the board of advisors at Pillar, which is an amazing interview intelligence platform. He's a senior faculty member at the Josh Burson Academy. He's on the board of advisors at LOXO, which is an amazing talent intelligence platform and global leader in the recruitment software field. He's a co-organizer of Michigan Recruiters Conference. He's chief storyteller at the Fistful of Talent HR blog. He's also an amazing point guard, I believe, in the basketball arena. So Tim, you've got it all covered. (laughs) I know. I, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I was a full-time like talent acquisition, HR professional executive kind of person. And then I got involved with blogging and that really became like a second full-time career, which led you into like writing a book and becoming a board of advisors and all this analyst work and then getting involved with conferences and events and things of that sort. So um, yeah, at some point I like, would love to slow down a bit, but you know um, you know, like the biggest thing about uh, capacity is you can't scale yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But on the blogging thing, yeah, that's pretty much how I started out. So um, when I became an HR consultant, started my own firm and knew nothing about marketing this a long time ago. And yeah, it was just started blogging stuff. And then yeah. I thought, well, why don't I pull some of these into an ebook? And then maybe I could talk about this stuff on in a webinar. And then <laughs> a decade later or something, having an online conference with you know a thousand people and stuff. So if if people wonder, should I blog? Yeah, look what's look what Tim has done with that. I know. Yeah. I always like laugh. I tell people like, you know, anybody can write on the internet, but somehow when you write on the internet, people then think, you know, something that others don't. And you're like, you know, like the Unabomber wrote on the internet. Anybody can write on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's an interesting perspective. Before I get into the HR world, um, you know, in one word, how would you summarize your, your basketball prowess? Uh, Slow. (laughs) (laughs) slow but fearsome i'm sure all right let's do the hr stuff so the reason we're talking is that you're one of the co-founder or co-organizers of the upcoming disrupt hr london event which is i've been to disrupt hr events before i think they're amazing yeah Yeah. um so who are your co-organizers and then you tell us how did you get uh into it and what have you got planned yeah so um I've been I've, I've been involved with Disrupt for a long time. Like we actually, um, I've run them here in the states. I've actually spoke at a number of them all over. Um, Chris Bailey out of the Cayman, he runs the HR practice for PwC out of Cayman Islands, who's a Brit. And then uh, Bill Benham, who run, is the editor for HR Gazette, are like my co-organizers. I think the big question is why does an American get involved with <laughs> you know Disrupt HR London in the UK? So there's, it's a, there's a longer story, but the shorter version of it is RecFest, which is the world's largest recruiting conferences, uh, is the day after. So ours is on July 6th, their event's on July 7th. I'm actually coming over to be a part of that event. And originally we had thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have Disrupt as part of that RecFest event? 
we got, I got it. I got to Jamie and the team over there a little bit late. So they were like, Hey, we can't make it work this year. Let's come back to it next year. But we, I was like, well, gosh, I'm already going to be over there. We might, we might as well just do it. Let's just do it the night before. And so that's kind of how it came about. And then um, Chris was going to be there um, as well. And so um, we got Bill involved and now we're trying to pull this thing off. And, you know, Chris and I are very much in the, in the mindset of, it only cost a little more to go first class. So yeah. we went out and got the Royal institution and we went out, you know, and you just, everything is going to be um, kind of bigger and better. And it's been a couple of years since disrupt London has, has, um, has taken place because of COVID. So we thought, well, let's start it with a bang and let's go out and, and, and bring folks in. I, my intent is not to have that event be the, be the host of that event going forward. I think Bill at HR Gazette's going to take it over um, and potentially, you know, and, you know, do some of those kinds of events you know, on the ongoing basis. Yeah. But this first event that in terms of coming back, um, you know, trying to do it now, Disrupt uh, London has been around, this will be the 16th one. So it's already been taken care of for 15 times. Um, the the previous team that kind of ran that it just decided like, Hey, we've had enough it's time. <laughs> time to yeah. give it to somebody else, um, which happens. That's kind of typical in disrupt world. I know I had disrupt Detroit for a number of years and then, there were some new people we brought in and they just come in with all the energy and passion. I'm like, Hey, you guys, you know, go ahead and do yeah, it and have yeah, fun yeah. with it. Uh, so I think a, yeah. handing that baton, I think it works really well for a lot of teams. Yeah. And you've done a great job. And, and I know the the Brits, they like to use the word posh. So the Royal institution, you know, you've chosen a nice posh location for it. Yeah. Um, and in case I forget to say, this is the Royal, the Royal institution, London, Wednesday, July 6th. 2022 um and yeah bill banham he's a great guy he knows inside he knows hr inside out and knows all the players his podcast and the hr gazette's phenomenal terrible taste in football teams or soccer teams i have to say um so, but, yeah. that, so who who do you follow oh well, i don't want to say because i'm one of the big ones and everyone just goes boo but um uh, yeah unfortunately well, his team didn't do so well yeah, so I'm an Aston Villa fan, which so I'm ah. like one of those two, right? Like I, we're just hoping does not get you know get pushed down. So <laughs> yeah, survival is the main name. Um, so for people listening to this who don't know Disrupt HR, it's a little bit different in terms yeah. of um, the presentation style. Do you want to talk to that? Yeah. So I always like to tell people it's kind of like mini TED Talks, but with some rules, right? So it's if TED Talks are like, what, 17, 18 minutes, these are only five minutes, which seems really easy. Like, oh, it's only a five minute talk. But the rule we added in was you have a PowerPoint deck, which has 20 slides and they change every 15 seconds, which equals five minutes. So you only have five minutes the slides move without you being able to move them, but you design your own slide. So you know all the slides that are going to move every 15 seconds. And I think people have figured out some, you know, some ways to kind of do that. When it first started years ago, and, and as Disrupt Now is in over 200 cities um, worldwide, when it first started, you'd have people try to do like almost like a mini hour presentation in five minutes with slides and they would get off. Yeah. And, and there's always, these are usually night events and there's some cocktails involved. <laughs> and so you might have somebody who has a little bit of too many cocktails and then the slides moving too fast and then the, tr the wheels just kind of fall off. And then, so there's always that element of, oh my gosh, what might happen? Um, and I always think that a five minute tight conversation or, or talk is really difficult to pull off. Yeah. Like, unlike an hour. And I, you know, I do a bunch of like hour presentations and 
you can forget things and come back to them and wander around in an hour and five minutes. You do not have the ability to do that. That no thing is moving and it goes, and then you're done, you know, but for, for the audience members, cause I've been in there. I know the guys, for instance, in the Dublin uh, yeah. disrupt HO and you're sitting there in a normal event. You can, you can see the list of speakers and you know, we're halfway through it and, uh, well, halfway through the night, but we've only up to speaker two because speaker one, yeah. oh, wow, they went on and on and on. <laughs> and suddenly, you, you know, it's, it's become hitting 10 o'clock and it's half an hour over and you know that there's still three more speakers. And yeah. I, I love it because it it, they, it forces them to structure their thoughts and also to make a really clear, cohesive argument or share some really clear ideas, which yeah. you can use, take away, uh, which maybe don't always arise when it's a big droning, long-winded yeah, the idea is to try to kind of challenge traditional kind of HR thinking and not just in the HR realm, but all the functions within HR it could be training, could be, you know, employee experience, could be recruiting, whatever it might be. Yeah. One big idea, come at it, you know, or one big whatever. Um, and, and people, and what I like, I think I love the same thing is like, you can listen to six or seven, eight speakers and it's 40 minutes. I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And you almost do the gong show stuff where you're like, look, it's, you know, your five minutes is up, like time to, you know, like you're done, give them yep. a hand. Yeah. You know? Um, and so they don't have that ability to kind of really, you know, push beyond that. And so, you know, you, the, the format is usually, you know, six, seven, eight speakers, take a little quick bio break, get a drink, refresh, and then come back and, and hit another And so really it's a quick evening. It's two hours in and out. Um, It's great for like HR leaders and their teams to come as like a little team event. I see that happen a lot where an HR leader will bring their entire team because it's, it's one of those things for a quick evening helps generate ideas. It's great development, great team building, all that good stuff. Um, There is time allocated for networking as well, right? Usually before, like for like registration will open like an hour before and the, the bar opens and then, afterwards you know like you know great hr you know people we always keep the bar open a little bit afterwards so yeah there's <laughs> great networking <laughs> so we, we've been through so much change there's been so much happening in the world in the world of work uh, what kind of topics and speakers will you be having yeah i mean definitely wellness and, and mental health and all of those i'm sure those will be addressed in, in a number of speakers mm. we don't tell people what they have to do right so like their their topic to us might just be you know, like, you know, one of the uh, authors is the head of nutrition for the European golf tour. Right. And I actually know him and we had talked about him writing a book called too fat to work and (laughs) the the book, he wrote the book, but he didn't use that title, but it was this concept of, you know, really just, you know, again, like physical health and and how that impacts our work life and stuff like that. But with the COVID and everything, we know, you know, we're going to see a ton about mental health. We're going to see probably stuff on remote work. We're going to see the recruiting um, and talent attraction, internal mobility, all of those kind of issues that we see that are the hottest things out there we're, you know, we're going to hear about. Yeah. Uh, and do you know the speakers yet? Uh, some of the examples of the other types of people involved? Yeah. So uh, um, let me, uh, like, so we have, I know Torin Ellis is coming for, with me to, from the States. Um, he is like one of the top diversity speakers. Like I would actually pay money to see Torin speak. Like he, He's one of, he, to me, he's the guy or the diversity speaker that's equal opportunity, right? When you go in there, whether you're female, male, uh, non-gender, whether you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whether it doesn't matter who you are, you tend to go away feeling a little uncomfortable, like there's work to be done. 
And it's not because I think, you know, um, I'm a white guy, right? So the typical mm. DEI speaker that comes tends to like be looking at me in the audience going, mm. it's your fault, you know, <laughs> and he, Torn isn't that guy. Like he is all of our uh, issue to own, right? Mm. And make change. And I like love that about him. And he's just an amazing speaker. Um, Kristen Ferber, she's the people, head of people um, director from Channel 4, um, is coming in. We have um, Dr. Rochelle Haynes. She's coming in. She's like the good work advocate, um, gig HR expert. So she'll be talking about that. Dr. Uh, Dr. Martin uh, Littlewood, again, sports psychologist. He actually works with Aston Villa, uh, my, my team. Um, and so we did, I mean, again, just like a whole list of like really kind of great HR thought leaders, speakers, um, that'll be there. That sounds excellent. Yeah. And I'm going to, and I'm going to talk and I haven't even figured out my talk yet. Well I told now. people it might be like the 12 fucks we don't give in HR. I don't know. We'll find something <laughs> fun to do. Right. Um, I, that's how I, I usually, I usually find some concept to kind of push everybody out of their seats a little. So nice. Keep it, keep it moving. Um, so what, what about you and your background? Cause I, you know, I went to a whistle stop tour, but can we start with HRU technical resources? What what is that business all about? And I'd love yeah. to hear about some of the other things you're up to. Yeah. Um, so I actually run the company my mother started over 40 years ago. Really? So I, I tell people all the time, they're like, how did you get in recruiting? I like, I was born into it. Like I literally <laughs> had a single mom, um, sister and I, you know, she just decided to start her own company and it was a technical recruitment um, back in a time when women didn't really start companies and they definitely didn't start technical companies, but she had this great story of having a friend who, whose husband was a director of engineering at a, at a fortune, you know, 100 company who was complaining at a party that he couldn't find talent. And she was like, I, I can find engineers. And he's like, come talk to me. So literally the next week went and talked to him and started her company. And, and so she had been doing that. So I grew up listening to my mother, like make these recruiting calls. Like she would literally turn the, the volume off on the TV and then make calls. And my sister and I would watch TV and then listen to her. And then she would be on the phone, like, and then I'd be addressing envelopes to like send to people like for different things. And we would like lick the envelopes and stamp them and all that. So, um, went to college, didn't ever think I would work in the family business came out. Um, she hired me as a recruiter and I worked that way for a bit got my master's in HR because I decided um, one of the companies I worked with was General Motors yeah. and had a mentor there that was a head of HR that got me to get to my master's degree with it, with the indication that he was going to hire me. I didn't like, I was young enough not to really think about, Oh, I'm going to leave my mother's company to go work for our client um, in HR. That didn't actually happen, but I did get my master's in HR and then did go to work on the corporate side of HR yeah. for a number of years. Didn't think I would come back. And then at some point, my mom was like, hey, I, I'm going to either retire or sell the company. And so I came back to run the company and, and really was probably better for it to go to work oh, yeah, on the corporate sure. side of, of HR and talent. At that same time, right before I came back to work for her, I got involved with the blogging on the HR side um, in that. So again, it kind of started these two parallel careers um, that have really worked well um, with each other. My mom before she retired, got a chance to come see me speak at a big conference. And thankfully it was like a sold out, like the room was packed, people sitting on the floor. Oh, wow. And she was kind of like, cause she didn't, she's like, you don't need to do this stuff. You know, you need to focus on the business. She was old school, like, you know, baby boomer. And I'm like, well, I've already got this one signed up. Let's, you know, come watch me. 
afterwards you have this like line of people waiting to talk to you and give you the business cards and they're heads of HR, heads of TA, whatever. And she was like, okay, I get it. She's like, I understand. Like, she's like, I've been calling on a lot of these people for years and they would never pick up my phone call. And here they are waiting in line to talk to you. <laughs> Asking to like, speak to you. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, so you can, you can keep doing it, you know? Um, so yeah, wow. so that's, um, kind of that. And then through all the blogging stuff, um, I got an opportunity to write a book, um, called the talent fixed around, you know, the talent fix around talent acquisition and kind of a leader's guide to attracting talent and hiring and selecting, doing all that good stuff. That's been, it's been really successful. Um, I always, it's funny cause I've, I have over 5,000 blog posts written. I have over 3 million words on a blog written. And people kept telling me, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I'm like, I've written seven books. There. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 it has to be a book. And I'm like, it, that makes no sense to me. Like I'm, I'm writing every day. And sure, sure enough, like as soon as I, that book launched, people came out of the woodwork to like, oh, you need a keynote or conference and you need to do this. And I'm just like, you know, again, it was the same topic of like, hey, you're writing on the internet. So you must know what you're talking about. Oh, I have a book. So I must know something more. And it's a real weird, like psychology fascination I have with that. Like why, because I have this book that I can hold and show, by the way, no one wants to actually read or write. Uh, or yeah, buy the I, book, I, understand. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, that's just, it, it's, there's a weird thing in the book industry where every year there's actually more books published than the year before, but there's actually less books purchased. So <laughs> you have this weird dynamic of more books being written and less books being bought and there, you know, um, and so like, the average book that someone re writes actually gets purchased less than 500 times. Now I've been lucky enough to have a successful book that's been purchased way more than that. But the reality is, is most books written are net really will never even sell a hundred copies, right? Yeah, They're yeah, yeah. Um, it's just kind of the way the world works, but somehow because we wrote a book, we're smarter than somebody who yeah. has it. Yeah. I, mean, I was just, about to say, it's not a waste. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, yeah. I totally agree. But then, you know, now the whole podcast thing, I think is big too, because you have people that have podcasts that are being listened to by thousands and thousands of people every single episode or every single month. Um, and you're like, I'm thinking, well, hey, that that's as valuable as writing a book as well, right? You're mm -hmm. interviewing people and you're, you're, you're gathering all this information in a, in a format that people love. And yet somebody would say, well, do you have a book? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a podcast that was listened to by more than a million people. What do you think? And you're like, do you have a book? You know, yeah. <laughs> unless you're Joe Rogan or something. Um, so if I take you back to your slave labor days where you're licking envelopes, yeah. Um, just say your mom, your mom said, uh, "Do you know what? I, I just want to retire now." Uh, so at a very early age, she asked you to step in. You've described a lot of different things, which is centered around thought leadership and speaking and stuff. Knowing what you know now, in terms of business development, development and growing a business quicker or easier, or however you want to phrase it, what would you do? No, it was, it was early content marketing, right? Before uh -huh. I knew what content marketing was. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, you know, all I knew was my mother started a company that was profitable every single year that she ran the company. Thankfully, I didn't screw that up. It's been profitable every <laughs> single year in the history of the company. So, and, and unlike like startups today where you might go eight, 10 years and never yeah. make a dime, right? You're just getting VC money, VC money, angel funding, whatever. Um, she, and I always tell people like my mother created an ATM machine. Like she, she created this company that, that produces money every single year, which is amazing. And so there's a part of me that says, oh no, I have 
better, newer ways to, to make this work. And I'm like, all I have to do is not screw this thing up, <laughs> teach people how to recruit, go to companies that need jo- you know, jobs filled and you know, relationship-based kind of marketing and it works just fine. If you want to scale, I think is where the, the kind of the content marketing stuff comes into play where it's like, hey, how do you really build a brand and how do you, you know, make it bigger? And then you have to have that, that, I guess, that ability and willingness to actually become really big, right? I get that asked all the time. Why aren't you bigger than what you are? And I'm like, well, I, I guess I don't have a desire to be a manpower or a Kelly or a, an Allegis or a Robert Half or, you know, a, these billion dollar companies um, because I love doing all the writing and the speaking and all this right. other stuff as well, which clearly takes time away from focusing on the business at hand, which, you know, pays all of my bills for the most part. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting. Um, my mom, I always wondered from her too, why she didn't scale the business bigger. Cause clearly she had the ability to. And when I asked her after she retired, she always was, she's like, I, I felt like I always wanted to be able to keep my arms around it. I yeah, wanted to yeah. be able to walk into my company and know the name and the relationship of every single person, not just your name, but I want to know who you're, who you're married to, who your kids are, what your life background is, what's going on in your life. And so for her, it was a family, right? And she's like, if I got too big, then I would feel like it was, I, I didn't know. And I, and she actually retired when she retired, she came back in the office once like three years later and she only knew a handful of people. And she said uh-huh. it was one of the most uncomfortable things yeah, yeah, yeah. to her because she didn't know so many of the people they knew her, but she didn't know them. And so I think it was one of those things where she just like, she was at, she started a company. It was profitable. It paid her bills. It got her kids through college and she could keep her arms around it. And she felt comfortable with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said by that, right? You don't have to grow oh, everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Took me back to my my grandfather had a business, and uh, it was fairly similar. He knew everyone there, the stories, and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, he loved it. Um, and on a tactical sense, from, from as a marketing nerd, I'm, I'm constantly being asked, "Oh, should we be doing TikTok this and talk there and write this yeah. that?" I like the fact that you've said, "Look, a successful business. Let's not screw it up." do what we're good at and maybe we expand a bit and do more talks or some content, thought leadership, that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and you can add new channels and things like that as long as it's in, done in a thoughtful way rather than shiny object syndrome. Is that about right? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest failures I see from companies is, um, you know, they go, oh, we're going to, you know, post our jobs on Twitter or whatever. And it's just job, yeah. job, 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 job. Yeah, like, yeah. no one wants, it's just noise at that yeah. point. I think if you want to, whatever you decide to use, if, if it's going to be Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, just go all in with it and do your thing. You'll find your audience, right? You might not find, like, a, I think everyone's trying to search for this, like, they want to go viral, right? I want a million clicks or a million views. Sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you can have, who, there's, I, you probably know the guy, there's, um, there, it's the whole concept of having a thousand fans, right? If you, yeah, if you had a thousand people in your life, right. That would give you $10 a month or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You would be a, you know, a wealthy person that was in having a good time. So it's not about having a million or 10 million. It's about starting with 10 and then a hundred and then a thousand. Yeah. And how do you get those people right. That are, that are that way. And I, I've kind of done that on my blog. When I first started blogging, I didn't have an audience at all. Right. You just start, start with yeah. zero. You do. And, and then you, all of a sudden you, what you find is that, 
little by little, the audience starts to grow and they're actually fans. Like they, they, they love every single thing you write. And then as it gets bigger, all of a sudden you have like this weird thing where the haters come and they're reading you every day just to bust on you, right? Just to find something you did wrong so they can hate on you. They hate you that much, right? From whatever you're saying. I always thought that was fascinating to me. But then I, what happened though, with that when the haters started to come and make comments was it changed how I wrote. Like I all of a sudden I started thinking more about them and there was only a few versus the thousands of people that were the fans and that were reading every day and, and were very positive. And at some point, I said, no, I'm just going to write for the people that actually like my stuff. And I don't care if people don't like it because I'm not writing it for them. And um, I, the same thing happened to me speaking. I was I got asked to speak at HR, the HR tech conference um, for the first time. And, and I've been speaking before that. right? So I've been speaking all over and, I, and having really good success with it. And I went there and my wife and I always grade, like she'll call me afterwards. She's like, okay, how did you do? And I, I like A being the best and like an F being the worst. And I'm like, gosh, I really feel like it was a C minus D plus. Like, I don't feel like <laughs> I did good at all. And we so we started to talk about it. And it was because there were some really high level thought leaders in the HR tech space that were in the audience. And I was trying to impress them. Those few people yeah, versus yeah. I had this audience of thousands of people that they really wanted to hear my stuff and I wasn't trying to impress them. So I, again, that was that mindset of changing going, I'm going to start talking to the people I care about, not the people that don't, you know, they, the, those, those like kind of like those really high level thought leaders in the audience, they weren't even listening to me anyways. Right. Like they didn't care what I had to say. Like they already had their own audiences and they had their own things. And yet I'm trying to impress them versus saying, Hey, how do I impress everybody else? You know, <laughs> I love it. You know, it, it's, it's, Different, but same in a way in the sense that, uh, so with email, right, I, I have an email list and most businesses have an email yeah. list, a database, yeah. and, you know, I've got thousands on my list and um, I might send out either some content or promotional thing or that. And often I'll get replies back saying, oh, thank you. This is really helpful, very inspiring, or this is practical, whatever it may be. And then occasion, every large message like that, I'll get a few unsubscribes. And yes. that, even though it makes no logical sense, it drives me crazy. And then I have to take your advice that you're sharing here and say, all right, yeah, that's not who I need in my group because focus on the bigger picture, all these people who do appreciate uh, and, and find benefit from it. I, yeah, same with you. I used to actually look, pull up on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis and take a look at those who unsubscribed and we're like, why would they unsubscribe? Yeah, yeah. Instead, I flipped it around and I started looking at who clicks. Right. Oh, that's and, nice. I like that. Yeah. And what you what it, what you find is in that email list and all the data that we get from those engines that we use, is you have some super fans. Like I have yeah. a couple of people that like I might have sent out maybe a hundred like you know blog posts this year to date or whatever, and I can pull that list up. And some of those people have clicked on those blog like five hundred times, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> like what? What did I like? How many? Like you know that person really likes my stuff. They're sharing that stuff, and. And so I tend to actually, I will like from time to time, get into that list and randomly send them messages, just thanking them. <laughs> and they like, will come back and nice. go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you sent this message. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm like, I'm your biggest fan. I love your stuff. And <laughs> I'm like, and you know, I don't go, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that on the 23rd. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, thank, I'm like, thank you so much. Like, I'm, I'm glad you're a great idea. That's a great idea. I really love that. 
So there's two things I want to just say for, for listeners on a tactical sense, just because we want to occasionally marketing nerd out. But yeah. one is the fact that, yes, in, in these email systems, there is data available. So you can look to see who clicks on on not just days of the week or numbers and stuff, but individual people, what they're interested in and the, the numbers. But the other thing is you just it was just a throwaway line, but you mentioned the fact that you're actually emailing out your, your articles. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's every day or how it works, but um, vast, vast majority of businesses don't do that it's just i might stick a link on linkedin and hope someone sees it but that's great that you're doing that and so proactive yeah yeah well and you know the other thing that i realized was um i'll also go through my own like my wordpress my blog that i use on for my blog and you'll see like certain posts that are very popular right yeah, um, they yeah, either yeah. have great seo or they're just people like them and i can go back three years i mean i can go back since i started right but i'll go back sometimes and look at really popular posts and I'll repost them like I just wrote it today. Yes. Every single time I repost it, even though it's already been written by a lot of, or read by a lot of people yeah. years ago, it will get more traffic the second, third, fourth time that I actually post it. Every single time I post it, will get more traffic. Sorry, when you say repost, do you mean update some of the content or update the date and then hit re? Sometimes I don't okay. even update. Sometimes yeah. I just literally run it again exactly the way it was. And I don't tell people like, hey, I already, I already wrote this. You already read it three years ago. Um, Sometimes you'll have to update a few things, right? Like maybe some uh, a date or a data or something yeah, like yeah. that was out of out of whack. Name of a president or something, yeah. Right. Um, but it's a fascinating kind of concept with blog writing too. Is that the second time I post it or the third time I post it, the same content will get more traffic. Um, and so again, it kind of highlights this as like just because you wrote something and you think you have already shared it and you think your audience has already read it, a lot of times only a fraction actually saw it or read it. Yeah. Like, you know, again, if I send, I, I, I usually write every single day. So my newsletter goes out every single day and it will go just with the last three posts. But so often people, you know, I mean, we get hundreds of emails a day. They'll just like delete, 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 delete. And then maybe one day they read something. And so as you rerun your content, it just, I tell people all the time, like you don't have to write new stuff every time. Like you have great stuff in your library, just rerun it and, and use it. Um, the funny thing was is I'll have like, sometimes I'll rerun something like from five or six years ago and I'll have like another thought leader come back and they'll go, Oh, you're just, and they've actually said this, like, you're just copying what I wrote last week. Oh, wow. And then I'll, I'll have to send them the link to what I wrote it five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop copying me. Yeah. I, I said, and I always tell them like, look, there's no new ideas out there. We're just yeah. all rehashing everything. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have found entire articles of mine copied and pasted and oh, for sure. and oh wow, yeah. I love when that. I kind of get no, touched. There's by always that, that kind. Of, I always have like I have a Google. Uh, I'm sure you have the same thing. I've like um, you can put in um, search um, things yeah. on Google, right? Yeah. And so I'll do a bunch of those around Alert, my blog yeah. and my name. And it's I'm shocked sometimes at how stuff gets rerun under somebody else's name. They act yeah. like it's theirs. You know, yeah. it's it's nice to be. Uh, involved let's say uh yeah and, and sorry a little tip for for people listening again you're, you're sharing so much gold here by the way on the marketing <laughs> side as well um so for people you if you've got old blog content it's well worth uh looking back over as tim was suggesting and seeing which are the most popular because you can either either refresh them or for instance in seo if they're ranking from three to five let's add some more content a few bits and pieces you might now see that ranking at number one, which obviously will vastly increase your traffic. And then the, the thing that I normally do with clients, um, which is doing at the moment with the software company is where we go to those 
top performing blog posts and say, well, what can we stick in here to capture an email address so that we can nurture people? So let's stick in a template or a guide yeah. or whatever it may be. Let's yep. not waste that traffic. So, so much good stuff. I really want to ask something else now, and that yeah. is around um, your role. You've got a couple of roles, board or, as an advisor. So board of advisors yeah. at Loxo uh, and Pillar as well. What does that involve? What is an advisor to a, a tech company? Yeah, so it's it's always um, for me usually startups, um, and they they tend to have like probably three or four different main issues. One could be flat out, hey, like we just need help with product. Like, is is this is this actually something somebody's going to use, and what can we develop? You know, that somebody would use on a consistent basis, whether that's recruiting HR, tech, whatever it might be, whatever they're trying to build. I tend to focus in, in talent acquisition, recruiting tech, because that's just a passion of mine. Plus, a lot of times I can actually test their tech out in my world, right? In, yeah. in terms of like a little lab environment to say, hey, is this vaporware? Is this real? Is this actually work? Um, and so they'll want product kind of help. A lot of times what I find too is they need sales and marketing. Like you have a lot of technologists that make great stuff, but they don't know how to market and sell it. Um, and so they'll need help with that. Um, and then the whole kind of, thought leadership piece um, of just kind of getting the word out, branding um, side of that um, helps, you know, a lot. I do, a, I tend to actually do a lot of founder, like CEO coaching um, and not like an traditional coaching. Cause I hate like the whole like life coaching, business coaching mm. kind of world. Like I don't, I don't, I mean, I'd say I hate it. Like I don't need it for myself. And so I don't understand it. I know people out there that have, that are great coaches and people that need coaches and they do it really well. I'm just not that person. So my LinkedIn profile says not a life coach (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not a life coach. (laughs) But in in saying that, (laughs) I tend to do a lot of life coaching with (laughs) founders. Um, in part in, of it in what is, way? In what way? Part though? of it, like I think, sharing knowledge around the industry. Um, a lot of them don't come in with the industry knowledge, and so they don't necessarily. They're building something that they believe that the market wants, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. But they haven't done a real in-depth kind of an, an, like analysis of what else is out there that people are using instead of your product, or what yeah. are or what could they be using, or why aren't they using, or why hasn't somebody been asking for this? Or there's just so much industry background. Or it could be like, hey, you're developing something that this other bigger tech could really use. And maybe it's just you know, creating that relationship that potentially, you know, they would just come and acquire them or yeah, buy them, yeah. stuff like that. So I've done, I've had a handful of exits like that as being on a board, um, you know, as well. And I tend to only try to do, you know, three or four uh, at a time. And I always ask two questions. I always tell them there's two questions I need to answer for myself. One, whoever your target buyer is. So let's say it's a head of HR. Let's say it's a recruiter, whoever that your target buyer is or user, would I actually buy that product? Um, Would I use that product in my own shop if I was your target user? So I have to look at it and say, oh gosh, this is something that I think I could actually use. And then the other side was, if I was working for you as a salesperson, could I sit in front of your buyer and actually sell this to them? Am I, am I passionate enough? Do I like your product enough that I could sell it to somebody else? If I can answer yes to those two, then I'm willing to come on to your board. And and I get and I and I I will demo 100 to 150 different products a year, and quite often I get asked. I mean, probably 10 percent, 15 percent of the time, I'll get asked to join their board. And it's rare that I accept because I can't answer yes to both of those. 
Yeah, they're great yeah. questions. Great questions, especially the second one because everyone <laughs> everyone thinks their own baby is beautiful, right? Yeah. So uh, that it creates some software or platform or something, and this is going to change the world. Um, but the number one alternative or competitor to any software is typically Microsoft Excel for a start, right? So. Yeah. So Can they the, already be? Using it's the world's it? largest HR software. Yeah. Oh my! <laughs> I remember running a massive salary review process that we would have killed for some software, but it was all done through Microsoft Excel and you know, no, kill me. Definitely. But yeah. Um, so they're the two questions um, on the product positioning side. You said, you know, is this um, what the market needs, competitors and stuff? Have you ever changed the positioning of a product? after sort of drilling into that or have they ever done that? They, I have, I've had, um, yeah, ones I worked with that they definitely have changed. Like they came in thinking this is what the product is and this is how they're going to use it. And I've, and I'd seen it go, oh my gosh, no, like this is how I would use it. And they're like, wait a minute, what? Like that's actually a need. And then as you go <laughs> through that process of discovery, you're like, oh my gosh, we have a, a bigger kind of addressable market over here that we yeah. didn't even think about. Because sometimes, like again, like you get so caught up in in making your baby that you think, oh, this is what this is for, yeah, and you don't yeah. realize maybe somebody else could use it for something way differently. By the way, I don't think I'm necessarily great at this. I have there's a unicorn in our industry, which is a, a billion dollar company, and the founder actually reached uh, we, about six years ago, seven years ago, maybe asked me to meet him for a drink at a bar at a conference because he had to pitch me an idea. <laughs> And he sat down for 45 minutes. He pitched me this idea of a company that he was starting. And I was like, nope, that is terrible. Like I would never, that would be, that, and he's a billion, now he's, it's a billion dollar company. So oh, later on, all oh, right. And I, and I remind him all the time, like, hey, anytime you want to bring, like put me on the board now, I'm open. And he's <laughs> just like, you had your chance, buddy. You had your chance. I'm done to ask. I'll ask you later. Um, <laughs> that's wonderful. Sorry, another, I'm, I'm almost letting you go, but. You also mentioned that, that, you know, come on the board to advise uh, on positioning and, and thought leadership and things like that. But they sometimes ask you to look at the sales and marketing. What's your typical advice there? Or what, is there a sort of framework that you use? What do you tell them? Yeah, what you find with technologists is they continue to want to add to their product. Well, the reason it's not someone's not buying this is because we don't have a certain feature or we don't yeah. have a certain whatever. And they want to keep adding and adding and adding. And I go, no, no, no. Whatever your core product was that you developed, if you can't find a buyer now, it's pretty rare that you're going to add in features that are going to make people want to buy. So stop what you're doing in development, put all of your effort into selling it. Because here's what we know in our industry is there's a lot of really average or below average technology that are, it's, that are doing billions of dollars in revenue every year. And because there was a need and they were able to sell it, even though it wasn't the best. And I said, so you... You, you can't make it the best and then sell it. You have to be able to sell what you have and then you make it better incrementally over time. And what I find is a lot of them, a lot of technologists are great at developing technology and they're terrible at selling and they're terrible to ask, you know, that the ask of selling. Um, right now in our industry, if you're really great at marketing and sales, there's an unlimited number of jobs open <laughs> because it's, there's just a, a really glut of, or not say a glut, there's a, an absence of, of really strong salespeople. I'll tell you, like one of the best sales companies or development of salespeople that ever was, was CareerBuilder back in the day. Yeah. Not CareerBuilder today, but CareerBuilder of seven, eight, 10 years ago, they built a sales machine. 
And if you find people that went through that and, and actually were really good and probably worked four or five, six years, more than likely they have great sales skills. And I run into those folks all the time where if I run into a great salesperson, I'll, I'll ask them like, they either probably came out of an agency world, like in recruiting, mm-hmm. or they came out of like career builder. <laughs> There's a lot of current indeed people, like almost their entire team, like it has a core of career builder folks that kind of they came from. So it's funny how certain companies just figured out how to create really great salespeople. And I think it's one of the reasons on the job board side, we saw career builder last much longer than anybody else, right? Um, Monster died out and a lot, some, some other ones went by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And career builder like lasted longer because they could just sell better. And so that my thing is always, you have to have and hire great salespeople. And that's going to probably create more of an avenue for success for you than your product will. Right. So two big takeaways for people listening is around the uh, positioning. I mean, you can't just keep on building new features and hope that that'll make the difference. You've got to build something that you think, yes, the market will, will, will want, and then you've got to get out there and sell it. I know from, uh, I, have a, I use a simple spreadsheet with, with uh, particularly with software clients where we just, we analyze all the client customer stories, um, what brought them in in the first place, who brought them in, and then what did they end up using the, the products for? And you'll see themes arising. And so what you build it for may actually be one of various stories, but in fact, that's, we've just got this massive diversity and inclusion issue or the turnover bid or whatever the HR issue is, that gets you in the door and it potentially then feeds into something else, but you've got to sort of get that detail down and then, yeah, release that sales team to, to go go forth and sell. Tim, you've shared so much uh, wisdom and advice. Uh, I've had a great time with this. If people want to learn more about you and about Disrupt HR and yeah. uh, around your various business uh, activities, what should they do next? Yeah. So, I mean, again, come uh, come meet me in person July 6th in London, uh, disrupthr.co. You can search for London, UK. And, and get tickets and come and we'd love to, to meet you there. Um, I tell people all the time, you can put in Tim Sackett and just Google me. I'm like, my SEO is pretty strong. Um, <laughs> you'll probably find me <laughs> from that standpoint, timsackett.com. I started early on just, you know, it's kind of that thing. Like I have a bunch of friends like uh, Lori Rudiman that does punk rock HR. My, my buddy, Chris Dunn does HR capitalist. Yeah. Everybody came up with these cute little names. <laughs> And I just stayed with Tim Sackett. So like, uh, I'm just like, that's my brand across all the, all the channels. So, But isn't there a, a Tim Sackett truck driver chaplain yeah, or something? There is. Minneapolis. Like I, I, I tell people all the time, like there's another Tim Sackett that might come up and he's a truck driver chaplain in Minneapolis or Minnesota. And I'm like, I'm sure he's upset that I stole all of his SEO. <laughs> no one finds him anymore. They just find me. So I think I have a Ben Gagan journalist for the BBC. So that's okay. But you don't want some sort of evil mass murder or something. As you <laughs> oh, no, right. Yeah. yeah. Change <laughs> your name all together. All right. So if you're listening to this on the go, I'll have the, uh, the show notes. They will include the links to the Disrupt HR London event, which is on at the Royal Institution Wednesday, 6th of July uh, in the evening. And then, yeah, Tim Sackett. Uh, so timsackett.com and the various links and details. So Tim, thank you very much. I had a ball. So thank you very much again. Thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.